it's your first time here, you're a guest. If it's your second time here, you're a member. And if it's your third time here, you're on staff. Um, this is my third Sunday preaching. Does that uh, get me any, any th- a special parking spot or something? How it, my wife did remind me, though, that we had been here five years ago and we visited. So this is my fourth Sunday. I, I don't know what that status gets me, but <laughs> I think it, it gets me free lunch afterwards. Is, is that... All right, well, I am, I am glad to be here uh, this morning. Uh, we will be in, in Ruth chapter 3. We will read that here in just a minute. Um, but I, I wanted to just start uh, by, by a brief story that I think illustrates uh, what we're going to be seeing in God's Word together this morning. You've probably heard the story of the family uh, who... Uh, was trapped in their home uh, by a flood. Now, I don't think this is actually a true story, but it illustrates the point. So for the sake of our time together this morning, it's a true story. Um, and, and so this family is in this severe flood, and the floodwaters are raging around them. And it's so severe that they, the only escape they have is to go up onto their roof and await rescue. Being a godly man, the the husband of this family uh, prays and asks that God would rescue his family. Moments later, a boat arrives looking for survivors, people who need rescued. And when asked to get on the boat, the man replies, no thank you, God is going to rescue me. A few minutes later, a helicopter arrives and sends down a ladder. The man says, no thank you, God will save us. Now we could, we could look at this man and think a couple things about him. Maybe positively we could say, wow, he is a man of faith. You know, he has prayed and he is trusting that God is going to save him. But I think more accurately, maybe we should look at this man and say, what a fool! Because there's the boat that came, there's the helicopter that came, and, and we would look at those situations, and we would recognize that it was God's hand at work to send those means of rescue to save them from the floodwaters. Where this man went wrong is thinking... That, that their rescue would be some sort of supernatural event, uh, maybe something like uh, what happened to Philip after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. He was just taken away. I, I don't know if that's teleportation or whatever it was, uh, but he, maybe this man is, is thinking his rescue from God is going to be more like that. But I think as we have seen in the book of Ruth so far, The providence of God is not always flashy, right? The providence of God is not always a pillar of fire in the desert. It could be that, but it can also be the kindness of a man caring for a widow and a foreigner providentially, abundantly, and completely 
like we saw last week. But this week, what I would like us to to consider from our passage this morning in this narrative that we are discussing, I want to see three things. It's firstly that the faithful act and trust a provident God to supply. Ruth has has expressed faith in God. Uh, Your people, my people, your God, my God. And yet, she gets to work, she goes gleaning in the field, and she is trusting God to provide. Secondly, we will see that God acts to bring the faithless back to Himself. Naomi could be a picture of faithlessness where she is re- saying to, to the, the women of the city, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. And then thirdly, we will see this morning that God really redeems even though redemption is not free. Boaz serves as a picture of the cost of redemption. So let's read chapter 3 and draw these things out from the text. Join me in Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. For you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, for you are my fellow townsmen. For for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. 
She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that uh, just as we see here this morning in the text, that you do, in fact, redeem. Uh, Give us eyes to see that and help us to be encouraged, and help us, God, to love you more because of our time spent here this morning. We thank you. We praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I have to be honest. This passage is odd. I, I hesitate to use the word weird, but it's different. Uh, there's excitement. There's drama. There's tension. There's questions. What is actually going on here? What's taking place on this threshing floor? We'll get there in a minute, but it seems that from verse 1, that some time has passed, maybe a day, and we get the impression again that that Naomi is a new character. She no longer seems to be the embittered woman from chapter 1. But in response to God's evident faithfulness to her, what does she do? Well, she starts looking beyond her own needs, and she starts thinking about the needs of Ruth. So while there may have been much more comfort in Naomi having Ruth all to herself, that will come at a great cost to Ruth. And and Ruth, again, goes out and gets to work. So Naomi probably, I mean, she's already said she's beyond marriageable years. She would not be able to produce offspring for Ruth. But that's not the case for Ruth. Ruth must have been uh, much younger Uh, and would have been able to produce an heir. Uh, Naomi then plays the role of matchmaker, I guess if you will, and she tells Ruth to wash and perfume herself, to put on her robe, and to sneak down onto the threshing floor. And she's to wait. She's to wait for Boaz to finish with his wine, to finish with his dinner. And once he's retired for the night... She's to sneak in and sleep at his feet. And, and I love that the passage says that something startled him. Maybe it was his cold feet. And then we're told at this point that, that he is going to take care of all the rest. Boaz is going to be awoken in the middle of the night by a woman who has uncovered his feet. And, and, and Naomi maybe has such trust, such faith in God and knows the character of Boaz that she says to Ruth, don't worry, he'll take care of the rest. (laughs) What a a plan. And I I think at first glance, it it looks maybe a lot like uh, more so that Naomi is is trying to make Ruth into some sort of seductress. Or, Or maybe she's encouraging Ruth to solicit something that would probably be illegal. We know the place he's lying. He's lying on the threshing floor, and and she's to go and cover his feet and lie down. And there's this tension, I think, that the author is building. And so, of course, threshing floors were known for being kind of these shady places. Not like shade from the sun, but they were not places where good things usually happened late at night. And, and it was common that during the harvest time, the men would go up there in the evenings, the breeze would die down, they would sift through their barley, and all of the chaff would come out. Uh, but then it's, it's a warm summer night, they're outside of the city, 
A lot of times this sort of place served well for, uh, we'll just say, activity that would not be honoring to God. And so there we've got this threshing floor, we've got this unusual language, we've got this unusual situation, not to mention, of course, that, that Ruth is a Moabite. And if we were to, to go back to Numbers 25, we would see that it was a Moabite woman who led the Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry. And even remember the origin of the Moabites traces back to, to Lot's incestuous relationship in Genesis 19. So in Genesis 19, we find ourselves with, with a Moabite woman, an older man who's just had something to eat and drink. He's going to retire. It's a very similar situation to what's happening in the book of Ruth. And so I think we're kind of meant to, to, to draw our attention back to that situation. And I don't think that those parallels are, are accidental. And maybe from this, we're supposed to ask the question, is this, is this really what, what this story has come to? Is this really the direction that, that, that Ruth is going to go? Is this the narrative? Is, is this the, the, the plan of God? But I think we see something different unfold. Because Boaz, when he's awoken, does not rebuke Ruth. He doesn't, he doesn't try to, to shoo her away. He is shocked at, at her presence. He asks, who are you? But then we see how the story unfolds in the providence of God in Ruth's response. Somewhat cryptic statement. But Boaz, in verse 10, says to her when, when, when she speaks to him and says, uh, I am Ruth, your servant. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. And, and he calls what she is doing in this moment kindness. He's called it hesed. He's calling it loyalty beyond even what Ruth has shown to Naomi before. So, so he seems to think that there's something wonderfully upstanding in this action. And, and I think this has to, has to do with the character of, of Boaz, that he is an upstanding man. He has only acted in a consistent way with the description that we read of him in, in 2.1, that he is a, a man of good standing. And he's only acted according to that character. So, so what's going on? No doubt that there is some proposition involved here, but it's not an illicit proposition. It's a proposition for marriage. If we go back to, to verse 3 in chapter 3, we read that Ruth is to wash and perfume herself. And depending on what translation you have, it says put on your best clothes, put on your cloak. Uh, other translations might put it in brackets, suggesting that, that it's implied. And, and so when it says put on your best clothes or, or put on your cloak, I think more rightly uh, we would read it as put on your cloak. If we think of that, the, the washing, the anointing, the perfuming, and the putting on of the cloak, I think we're supposed to see another parallel from 2 Samuel 12, 20. If you know the story, that's, that's where David has just lost his son. 
And what does he do to signify that that his time of mourning is over? He washes, he anoints himself, and he puts on a cloak. And so I think in doing so, what Ruth is is doing, what, what she is signaling to Boaz, is that her time of mourning is over. Her time as being a widow is over. And, and if that's the case, what she is communicating to Boaz is, I'm available. I'm not mourning anymore. Or, or maybe we could say in more modern terms, I'm, in, I'm on the market again. I can be married. And all of that would have been according to Israelite customs. So, so you also have this, this cryptic statement in verse 9 where she says, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The word for corner there, spread, your, spread the corner of your garment. It's the same word for wing that we read in verse 12 of chapter 2. So when Boaz says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's the same word under the corner of his garment. As it is in, in 3.9 where it's spread the wing of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. And so in, in, in effect what we see here is, the, is, a, is an idiom for marriage. To spread one's wing over another is a poetic way of saying, would you tie the knot with me? Would, would you marry me? And so it again connects us back to 2.12 because Boaz was saying, uh, I will pray that you would be richly rewarded by the Lord. And I think in this exchange between Ruth and Boaz, what we see Ruth saying is she's saying to him, you have offered up this prayer. And I'm going to use some of the similar language that you've already used. And I'm going to call you to make good on this prayer of blessing that you have offered for me previously. She's saying, I, I, I want you to be my protection and my refuge in the Lord in marriage. And, and I think what Ruth is doing, she's saying to Boaz, you prayed this, now be the answer to your prayer. And of course, lastly, there's the gifts that Boaz gives to Ruth. Six measures of barley. Again, an abundant supply. Because he does not want her to go back to her mother-in-law empty-handed. Because remember, Naomi has said she came back empty. So he gives this gift to them as a pledge of his intentions to marry Ruth. And that seems at least to be how Naomi took it. She understands that the man will not rest until this matter is settled. There is then a matter of an immediate pressing concern of another kinsman redeemer. But even in in knowing that, Boaz is offering the pledge of his intention to to redeem her. And and then we go into chapter 4, we'll see that next week, um, that he is is saying to her, do not return empty to your mother-in-law. I will take care of this situation. We already read back in 121, uh, that's exactly what, what Naomi says. But what we see is that the Lord is working to fill her. So not only is she being fed, but she is also now has the prospect 
of an heir because of this marriage proposal. But, but this marriage proposal does not come without risks. We have Ruth, a woman in an ancient society proposing to a man. We've got a servant proposing to someone of much higher standing. You've got someone who's poor proposing to one who is rich. You've got a Moabite proposing to an Israelite. This is a risky situation. It's all being done under the cover of darkness and, and in a difficult, uh, rather odd sort of way. So all kinds of things could have gone wrong in this situation. But they don't. And so maybe we would ask, why don't they go wrong? Well, well hopefully we see that uh, through the narrative that we've been discussing, they don't go wrong because God's hand is on this situation. He says again in verse 11, My daughter, he says, I will do for you all that you ask. It's like Boaz takes the form of, of the servant and saying, listen, I will fulfill all of your requests. I will fulfill all of these things. Why does he respond this way? Why does he respond in such a manner to, to what Ruth has asked of him? In verse 9, she's appealing to the fact that he's a kinsman redeemer. We, we skipped over that last week in chapter 2. It's 2.20. This idea of a kinsman redeemer. It's a technical term. It's a legal term that denotes that the near relative has the responsibility for the well-being of another relative in distress. So for example, if, if one relative ran into debt, sold into slavery, uh, it would be the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to marry or to, or to draw this person out of the situation, to pay the debts, to buy the property, to help them, and to provide for them in this way. If, though perhaps it was a woman who lost a husband, it was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to marry and to provide offspring for, for the man who died. But the issue here in, in this situation is that the technicalities of a kinsman redeemer don't actually apply to this case. Boaz is not the brother of Elimelech. Ruth is a Moabite. So she's come into the lineage only through marriage and even in, in a way that would be against God's law. And so Hebrew law has, knows nothing of this kind of scenario. So Boaz could have said, you know what, actually I want nothing to do with this situation. He would have had the legal loopholes to dismiss himself from this responsibility. And yet, he cares for Ruth. And he notices of her uh, something that is admirable. He doesn't dismiss the responsibilities. Uh, and so we have to wonder, is he acting out of mere duty? Well, no. Is it because of how beautiful Ruth is? He, he says of her that she, she has not run after the younger men. Apparently she would have been able to. But she's a Moabite in Israel who must have been quite beautiful for the young, young Israelite men to pursue a Moabite woman. But he doesn't say that it's because of her beauty. What, what Boaz highlights about Ruth is her character. In, in verse 11, he says, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. 
If she has kept by Naomi's side, she's left her own townspeople, she has come into the, the family of God, and, 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 and Boaz notices all of that about her. She knows, he knows that, that she has united her, herself to Naomi in a deep and intimate way. The same expression for noble character uh, that Boaz gives to her is the same noble expression of character that we would find in Proverbs 31. It's the ideal wife that's put forth. Proverbs 31.10, the wife of noble character, the same word that Boaz uses of Ruth, says, who can find? A wife of, of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Boaz knows this about Ruth. Or back in Proverbs 12, uh, the wife of noble character who is like a crown to her husband. So Boaz is, is doing this because of the character of Ruth. But I think what we're meant to see in Boaz caring for Ruth, the, the love that he has for Ruth, is meant to show us again God's providence. And how did this elaborate scheme work against the insurmountable odds that, that would have been many in this situation? Well, it's because God desired this marriage to take place. He desired that it would come to pass. So once again, we see that this, this, this truth that uh, Ruth works, that, that she is trusting God and she knows that God is going to provide for her. Ruth acts, and she entrusts herself to God's provision. Just the one minor complication, though, is that there is a, a nearer kinsman redeemer than Boaz. And I think that, that's to, to introduce some more drama into the story, because at this point in the narrative, we, we're, we're rooting for Boaz. We're saying, yes, Boaz is going to redeem Ruth. He's going to take care of her and, and therefore take care of Naomi. But then, all of a sudden... There's this man who is nearer. And, and I, I just I read through that as I'm reading chapter 3, and it's almost as if the wind is taken from my sails. Because we want Boaz to be the hero. But there's this man who is nearer. And, and yet I think the character of Boaz is revealed even in the, the, the nearer Redeemer because he says... If, if he's going to redeem you, good. Let him do it. Because he is caring for Ruth. He is not self-centered. He's not self-focused. He is, he's caring for Ruth and for Naomi and showing the faithfulness, the care and provision of God. And so from Boaz, I think we're taught, we learn that God really redeems, even though redemption is not free. God freely redeems, even though redemption is not free. In the Old Testament, God is, is Israel's redeemer. Exodus 6, he says, I promise to redeem you, Israel, my children, with an outstretched arm. In Exodus 15, 13, it's because of God's unfailing love. Because of, again, that, that word, that kindness, that hesed. That he promises to lead and guide and redeem his people. 
or Isaiah 41, God actually declares Himself to be Israel's divine kinsman. He's Israel's divine kinsman to, kinsman to lead and to deliver. And so in the book of Ruth, we have this another kinsman in Boaz. But the unique contribution that, that, that Ruth makes to our understanding of God as a kinsman redeemer is that Boaz was not obligated to redeem. He did possess the right to redeem, but he was not obligated to redeem. But that didn't stop him. He still seeks to redeem Ruth and Naomi because of the love that he has for them. He's a man of standing. And as we read in, in chapter 2, verse 1, where the law didn't compel Boaz, love did. And so this willingness to redeem Ruth is going to come to Boaz at a great cost. It was going to cost him money. It's already cost him quite a bit of grain. It will cost him property. It would probably cost him a lot more. And though he's no under no compulsion, he freely took this cost upon himself to redeem. And I think Boaz foreshadows that the great Redeemer who would come for us and for our sin was under no compulsion to redeem us, and yet he does out of love. God is under no obligation to save us. And if you're, if you're here this morning, Christian, non-Christian, whatever you might be, I think we need to realize that at some point, we have, we have chosen our own ways. We've chosen our ways over God's ways. We've not trusted His hand of provision. And the Bible calls this sin. And the punishment for that, that choosing of our own way, for not trusting in the provision of God, the punishment that the Bible prescribes for that sin is death. Both physical death, as we all experience it, but also spiritual death for those who don't know Christ. And God certainly could have left us in our sin the same way that Boaz could have chosen to not redeem Ruth. And yet, just as Bo Boaz freely chose to redeem, God has freely chosen to redeem His children. And He's done that by sending His Son to live a perfect life that we have all failed to live. And He sent His Son to die on a cross as the payment for sin. And this is freely given, and yet it was also costly. Not to us, it's costly to God in the death of His own Son. And so just as Boaz freely chose to redeem a foreigner, an alien, who had no claim upon his redemption, Christ has come to adopt foreigners and aliens to invite us to His banquet table and to redeem us through His death and His resurrection. And, and so if you've come here this morning and you are not a Christian, if you're, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, the Messiah, as your Lord, you've not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Him, we would urge you to do just that this morning. 
And the love that we find so appealing in Boaz is the same love that God holds out to you in His Son. And so, so repent, turn to Christ, trust in Him, and know that He freely provides for you. He is our Redeemer that Boaz points us to. So, so Ruth is a, is a love story. But I, I hope that, that as we discuss it in, in the weeks to come, and as we've even seen so far, that it's, it's more than just a love story. And it's not fundamentally about Boaz and Ruth. It's about the kind of love that God has shown to His people. It's the love that, that God has shown us in Christ. And it's through Christ that God sovereignly works to bring about His good purposes to the world. If we think about the man and the family on top of the roof waiting for God to save them where we started, I think what we can learn is that God acts through normal, everyday means to bring about His purposes. We just have to have eyes to see them. And so we're seeing God's hand at work in, in every aspect of Boaz and Ruth and, and Naomi's lives. We see that God is sovereign. He's providentially caring. And with Ruth, we find God's hand at work in the circumstances of normal life. And Paul reminds us in, in Philippians 2 of what the Lord Jesus did in order to save it says that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. So that we might be made full, Christ took upon himself the role of a servant. Jesus emptied himself so that we would be full. This is the God that the story of Ruth points us to. The one who provides for our deepest need, the forgiveness of sin. This is the love story that Ruth is holding out for us. It's the character and the goodness of God. So do you know Him as the good and loving God? Do you know Him as the one who freely offers His grace to you? Even though it's not free to Him, He redeems. Is God your Redeemer this morning? Are you resting in His care for you? May we be the faithful ones who act, trusting our provident God to supply. And any who are faithless, may we see the ways that God is drawing us to Himself. And ultimately, may we be astounded that though it was costly, God redeems us. So may we live in light of all of those things this morning, trusting God and living for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that You redeem. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus who took on the form of a servant so that like Naomi, we would not go away empty, but rather full. Continually remind us of that and help us, God, to, to just marvel at the grace that you have extended to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus with great thanksgiving. Amen.